Praise God. I want to welcome everyone tonight. If you're a guest tonight, we are so glad to have you in this service tonight. Thank you for being with us. If you're joining us online tonight, wherever you may be watching from, we welcome you as a part of this service tonight as well and pray that you are blessed by it. I realize they are not present, but I do want to give honor tonight to our bishop and mother Wright. We appreciate them very much. I am getting both experiences in one day. This morning was one of those rare times where what I felt like I had to preach was so clearly confirmed. My, word, my wife read a verse from the Old Testament and focused on a word that was a part of the ending of my message. And I was so thankful and relieved. And so tonight I get to do the opposite. We've had a great time. We've danced. We've shouted. God gave you your chance. I hope you had fun. They didn't miss it. And I'm trusting that I have it. <laughs> that God is a God of balance. And so there's going to be balance here tonight. Amen. I'm going to start, if you, you can remain seated, I will read some verses, I promise you. But I'm going to start reading a couple of snippets of some lives. Perhaps some you may recognize the names, you very well may not. The first one is Eric <coughs> Liddell. He lived from 1902 to 1945. Eric Liddell was a successful athlete, but fame and honor didn't sway him. Unfortunately, too many times the didn't is not there. But it didn't sway him from what he knew was his life calling to preach the gospel in China. Eric was born in China to missionary parents. He attended school in London where he trained and became known for his athletic abilities. He went on to compete in the Olympics but remained true to his convictions. In 1925, Eric returned to China and used his skills to minister and influence many young Chinese for Christ. He was captured by the Japanese during World War II and passed away of an inoperable brain tumor during his imprisonment. His death left a great empty place in the lives and hearts of the many people who he had spent his life serving. His final written words, it's complete surrender. Jim and Elizabeth Elliot lived in the mid-1900s. Jim and Elizabeth met in college, but they didn't get married until they separately went to Ecuador to minister to the Quechua, probably not proper. They married in Quito and moved to a more remote area to make contact with the Horaini tribe. Jim and four other missionaries were later killed by the tribe they were trying to reach. 
After her husband's death, Elizabeth did not return home for a life of retirement of comfort and ease. But Elizabeth returned and spent two years ministering to the tribe that killed her husband. This next one is a little bit lengthy, so if you will bear with me as I read it, but I want you to hear the story. There are some that don't have to give up anything because they never had anything and Ministry and working in the kingdom is actually something better than what they've even known, naturally speaking. I really shouldn't say this. This is probably totally in the flesh, and I don't know that it really is relevant to the message, but I just got to say it. I am convinced there's a bunch of contemporary Christian music artists that the reason they become contemporary Christian music artists is because they just couldn't make it in secular music. Because when they get up on the stage and look like and act like and sing like and dress like and put on shows that if you turn the volume down and just watch the video, you wouldn't know the difference between that and a rock concert. Something is wrong. But then there are some that do give up and sacrifice for the purpose of God's calling on their lives. Has anyone ever heard of the Borden Milk Dairy Company? I don't know how popular it is around here, but I've heard of it and It is still a thriving dairy company. Listen to this story. In 1904, William Borden graduated from a Chicago high school. As heir to the Borden family fortune, he was already wealthy. For his high school graduation present, his parents gave 16-year-old Borden a trip around the world. As the young man traveled through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, he felt a growing burden for the world's hurting people. Finally, Bill Borden wrote home about his, quote, desire to be a missionary, end quote. One friend expressed disbelief that Bill was throwing himself away as a missionary. One friend expressed disbelief that he was throwing himself away as a missionary. A story associated with Borden says that in response, he wrote two words in the back of his Bible. No reserves. Even though young Borden was wealthy, he arrived on the campus of Yale University in 1905 trying to look just like one more freshman. Very quickly, however, Borden's classmates noticed something unusual about him and it wasn't that he had lots of money. One of them wrote, he came to a college, he came to college far ahead spiritually of any of us. He had already given his heart in full surrender to Christ. And had really done it. 
we who were his classmates learned to lean on him and find in him a strength that was solid as a rock just because of this settled purpose and consecration. During his college years, Bill Borden made an entry in his personal journal that defined what his classmates were seeing in him. That entry said simply, Say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. Say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. Borden's first disappointment at Yale came when the university president spoke in a convocation about the students' need of having a fixed purpose. After the speech, Borden wrote, he neglected to say what our purpose should be and where we should get the ability to perceive or to persevere and the strength to resist temptations. Serving the Yale faculty and much of the student body Borden lamented what he saw as the end result of an empty humanistic philosophy, moral weakness, and sinned, ruined lives. During his first semester at Yale, Borden started something that would transform campus life. Who knew, Mike, that campus ministry went all the way back to the 19, early 1900s? One of his friends described how it began. It was well on in the first term when Bill and I began to pray together in the morning before breakfast. I cannot say positively whose suggestion it was, but I feel sure it must have originated with Bill. We had been meeting only a short time when a third student joined us and soon after a fourth. The time was spent in prayer after a brief reading of Scripture. Bill's handling of Scripture was helpful. He would read to us from the Bible, show us something God had promised, and then proceed to collect, to proclaim, then proceed to claim the promise with assurance. Borden's morning, Borden's small morning prayer group gave birth to a movement that soon spread across the campus. By the end of his first year, 150 freshmen were meeting weekly for Bible study and prayer. By the time Bill Borden was a senior, 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 students were meeting in such groups. 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 students were meeting in such groups. Borden made it his habit to seek out the most incorrigible students and try to bring them to salvation. In his sophomore year, we organized Bible study groups and divided up the class of 300 or more, each man interested taking a certain number so that all might, if possible, be reached. The names were gone over one by one and the question asked, who will take this person? When it came to someone thought to be a hard proposition, there would be an ominous pause. Nobody wanted the responsibility. Then Bill's voice would be heard. Put him down to me. Borden's outreach ministry was not confined to the Yale campus. He cared about widows and orphans and the disabled. He rescued drunks from the streets of New Haven to try to rehabilitate them. He founded the Yale Hope Mission. One of Bill Borden's friends wrote that he might often be found in the lower parts of the city at night 
on the street in a cheap lodging house or some restaurant to which he had taken a poor hungry fellow to feed him, seeking to lead men to Christ. Borden's missionary call narrowed to the Muslim Kansu people in China. Once he fixed his eyes on that goal, Borden never wavered. He also challenged his classmates to consider missionary service. One of them said of him, He certainly was one of the strongest characters I have ever known, and he put backbone into the rest of us at college. There was real iron in him, and I always felt he was of the stuff martyrs were made of and heroic missionaries of more modern times. Although he was a millionaire, Bill seemed to realize always that he must be about his father's business and not wasting time in the pursuit of amusement. Although he was a millionaire, he seemed to realize always that he must be about his father's business and not wasting time in the pursuit of amusement. It's quite interesting when you find somebody who has it and realizes it's not where it, it's not where it's at. And then you see all kinds of people that don't have it and live their life in a pursuit of getting it. My dance will crush Satan. Although Borden refused to join a fraternity, he did more with his classmates in his senior year than ever before. He presided over the huge student missionary conference held at Yale and served as president of the Honor Society Phi Beta Kappa. Upon graduation from Yale, Borden turned down some high-paying offers. It has been reported that in his Bible, Bill Borden wrote two more words. No retreats. No reserves. No retreats. I'm not going to hold anything back, and I won't go back. William Borden went on to graduate work at Princeton Seminary in New Jersey. When he finished his, studi his studies at Princeton, he sailed for China because he was hoping to work with Muslims. He stopped first in Egypt to study Arabic. While there, while stopping in Egypt to prepare for what he felt like he was called to do. I want you to get this. While stopping in Egypt for preparation for what he felt he was called to do. He contracted spinal meningitis. Within a month, 25-year-old William Borden was dead. How un- just is that God he gave up his wealth to pursue a missionary life and didn't even get to where he was felt he was called to go 
When the news of William Whiting Borden's death was cabled back to the U.S., the story was carried by nearly every American newspaper. A wave of sorrow went round the world. Borden not only gave away his wealth, but himself. In a way so joyous and natural that it seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice, wrote Mary Taylor in her introduction to his biography. Was Borden's death, was Borden's untimely death a waste? Not in God's perspective. As the story has it, prior to his death, Borden had written two more words in the back of his Bible. Underneath the word, no reserves and no retreats, he is reported to have written, No regrets. No regrets. Since when did our decisions about our lives and our future and how we're going to live become first and foremost based on a financial decision? Since when does the job we take and the future we are pursuing get based upon what is best for me and my life and my family? Where are the William Bordens who are willing to make up their minds no reserves? And then there will be no retreats. And no matter what happens, there will be no regrets. Paul, here we go. Some of you don't, you're not, you're not doing well because I haven't, I'm preaching. I haven't read any Bible verses. So here you go. You can breathe a sigh of relief now. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 16. Acts 20 and 16 says this. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia for he hasted if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church and when they were come to him he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews." And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. It is in Acts chapter 7 where Saul, who became Paul, is first mentioned in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7 
It is in Acts chapter 13 where Saul goes from being known as Saul to now being known as Paul. So let's just take Acts 13 where he became known as Paul and was a very significant marking point in his ministry. Acts 13 all the way to Acts chapter 20. That's seven chapters that is covered in Paul's life. I don't know how many years that covered, but I believe that covered at least a couple of years of Paul's life from Acts 13 to Acts chapter 20. So Paul has already done a whole lot, Brother Barr. He's already accomplished a lot of things. He's already been through a lot of things in his life, in his ministry. Paul, maybe it's time to relax a little bit. Paul, maybe it's time to just kick back and put it on cruise. You've you've done your part. You've paid your due. You've put in your time. Why don't you just, just, just relax? But he says this, and now, after all of that, now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem. I go bound. Something has got a hold of me. Something's got a grip on me. And I don't want to shake it loose, but I can't shake it loose. There's something that's so got a hold of me that I am bound to go to Jerusalem. Not knowing, stay right here, we're going to go to 23 in a second, but stay here please for a moment. Not knowing the things that shall befall me there. He says, I am going bound to Jerusalem in the Spirit. And I don't even know what's going to happen there. I don't know what awaits me. We sit and wait if God will give me a word, if God will tell me what He's going to do, if God will tell me how He's going to move, if God will give me a promise, then I'll pursue it. And Paul says, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if God's going to do something or not. All I know is that I feel bound that I must go. I know it's the holiday season of all the time. This is a January message, not a December message. This is a kicking off the year kind of a message, not a Christmas holiday kind of message. We sit tonight, too many of us, considering our options. There's nothing that's got us bound in the Spirit. This wasn't an evil spirit. This wasn't a demonic spirit. This was God's Spirit. Paul saying, I am bound by this responsibility and this feeling that I have that I've got to go to Jerusalem. sit here tonight considering all of our options and the first thing to go off of our schedule when life gets busy is God. The first thing we check off our calendar is church. Or before that it's ministry and then it's church. Too busy with my life. I'm too busy with my pursuits. I'm too busy trying to make a life for my family and I. Paul says, I go, I can't shake it. 
I can't. Some of us come, we sit in church and God talks to us and we're a little bit bothered by it, but we get out of here and we turn off, off, we turn the noise in our lives back on and before we know it, it's all drowned out. We move on to something else and we get, we get free from that weight of responsibility. Oh boy, I'm going to help Brother Trombley out tonight. I'm preaching to some AML folks that it's somewhere down your list of priorities. It's an extracurricular activity. I tell you tonight, I'll save Brother Trombley some time. If you do not feel bound by a responsibility to prepare and further yourself for ministry, turn in your resignation. This isn't the gym where you take it or leave it. You see, here's the problem. Dear God, I'd much rather preach something else in December. You see, don't, don't go until I tell you, please. Here's what's... Some of you got your Bibles out and you, you already read ahead, but here's the problem. He's not telling the whole truth here. He's not telling the whole truth in verse 22. He said, I don't know what's going to befall me there. Now you can go there. He actually has an idea. Because in verse 23 he says, Save, except the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city saying, not that there's going to be miracles and signs and wonders and great harvest, but that in every city there's going to be bonds and afflictions that I'm going to meet. And yet I still go because I am bound by the responsibility. Brother Lewis, got to tell you, I've been stirred since Friday, and I don't want to get unstirred. I told you already, I thought I was going to mention it later in the message, but here I am. I stood here, I sat here on this platform Friday. Again, I've seen a couple of head nods this morning that are, that, that are a part of counting, and so that I, I think I'm not off on this. I think it's safe to say there was 350 plus people here Friday. 350 plus people that were in this funeral on Friday and two-thirds, if not easily three-quarters of the people in this funeral on Friday have never stepped foot in this church. There was an extremely small percentage, for whatever reasons it was what it was, there was a small percentage of Antioch folks that were at the funeral on Friday. But this place was full. I know some of you will be offended by this, but I'm sorry. I'm the pastor here, and I can say it the way I believe it. This place was full of sinners. In addition to two-thirds to three-quarters being people that have never been here, I would say close to 50% of that crowd was probably 25 years old and under, many of them teenagers. I am bound by an image in my mind of young people that walked in this place broken and hurting. 
I don't say this to be in any way unkind or judgmental. Please take it in the spirit and the context at which I tell it. I got there. I followed. Brother Middleton rode with me. I followed the gentleman from the funeral home in the SUV with the flowers and the hearse was still at the church. And so we got there on Bestgate Road and he parked at the parking lot there and asked me to stay by him. And so I waited and the entire, most of the procession had gone in when we then followed him down to where towards the grave site we got out and walked and as we begin to walk up to that to that grave site there there was I, I i'm naive I'm, I'm naive i'm ignorant i've been blessed i've been blessed to be ignorant and naive there was a smell of some kind of smoke that was not cigarette smoke that's all i know what it was i don't know what i do know was it didn't smell like cigarette smoke And I'm not here tonight with a critical judgmental attitude of those young people that were standing there taking a hit off of something because what I understand was they were standing there hurting and in pain and that was the only thing that they knew to use to ease the pain. That's what Paul was feeling. When he said, I go bound to Jerusalem, I go bound because there's somebody there that needs me. I go bound as inconvenient as it is because somebody there needs the gospel. What awaits me is bonds and afflictions. But he says, I'm going anyway. But, oh God, don't go there yet, please. I pray that somehow this next verse would be an attitude that would get a hold of me. I don't know what waits for me there. What I do know waits for me is negative things. But then he says, none of these things move me. None of these things move me. The bonds and the afflictions and the opposition that I'm going to face, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. Why? So that I may finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. I'm not bothered by any of these things. I'm not moved by any of these things. I'm bound, but I don't think he was bound against his will. Because God won't violate your will. But I think Paul was voluntarily bound in the spirit. He said, none of these things move me. I, I want you to hear these words in a couple of translations that put it more in language that we're a little more used to. The living Bible. And now I am going to Jerusalem. Drawn there irresistibly by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what awaits me, except that the Holy except that the Holy 
Spirit I'm reading while I'm trying to find, except that the Holy Spirit, there we go, except that the Holy Spirit has told me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Brother McGurk, I'll use you because you love me, I love you. How, I wonder how, how, what it, what it would have been like if, when did you come on staff for campus ministry? Is it two years now? Almost two years ago. What if prior to coming on to go into campus ministry when you were, what was your, your degree was business management, what, marketing, marketing. Got a degree from University of Maryland in marketing. Maryland is actually now one of the top public, at least, business schools in the nation. I went there kind of right as it was starting to gain its notoriety in that field. Got a degree in marketing. This is, this is, this is an anointed guy. He is definitely anointed, but he's also a cool guy. I mean, without Jesus, he's just a cool guy. Uh, real, I mean, he's athletic. You don't have to be athletic, but that's that's kind of my personality. So don't. No, he's a cool guy, smart guy. No telling what jobs were available, or you could have eventually gotten. I'm certain you probably would have started out at the beginning making way more than what you get paid to do what you do here. No doubt, start out way beyond. But what if, what if I would have sat down with you and said, Mike, we want to hire you to be our full-time campus ministry director. But let me tell you what the Lord told me is going to happen. They're going to lock you up. They're going to throw you in jail. They're going to accuse you and abuse you for the name of Jesus Christ. I wonder, I wonder how tough the decision might have been then. Wasn't easy as it is now. You know what's you know what's so sad? God can't even entice most of us to go all in with a bunch of great promises. He can't even get some of you to get fully committed, and he's tried to promise you all kind of great things. Paul said, I go and I know what awaits me. I'm going to get thrown in jail. I'm going to get persecuted. But then verse 24, listen, oh, somebody please listen. Somebody please listen. But life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus But life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. And here's the work. The work of telling others the good news about God's mighty kindness and love. Message Bible. But there is another urgency before me now. 
I feel compelled to go to Jerusalem. I'm completely in the dark about what will happen when I get there. I do know that it won't be any picnic, for the Holy Spirit has let me know repeatedly and clearly that there are hard times and imprisonment ahead. I, I went to I went to Pakistan in 2000 and I don't know, Angie, you remember roughly when early 2000s or mid, about 2005. I went there with my dad. Obviously, that's after 9-11, but things still were relatively. I got to tell you, I, I hope I help you with this and not, you know, cause you to question if I can be your pastor with this. I, I hope my honesty will help you instead of, Cause you to not respect me, but I, I got to tell you, I, I've never, I, 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 I've never been in fear so much in my life. We arrived about two fifteen in the morning, and we got right through customs immigration in a matter of minutes. And the missionary that was supposed to pick us up says that most of the time it takes people at least forty five minutes to get through immigration. And so when you tell him what time you get there, your plane lands, he times it to show up 30 to 45 minutes later so he doesn't have to stand and wait. We were one of the first ones off the plane, got through in a matter of minutes, and when the doors from where baggage and immigration was open and we stepped out, there was probably at least 100 to 150 men standing about 10 feet away waiting. Oh, Jesus then we get out and stand in the walkway. I don't know. We didn't do this purposely. Neither one of us said this to each other. Somehow it just so happened that my dad and I just happened to end up standing back to back. To top it all off on the, on his, on his suitcases at that point in time, the backside of his bag tag was an American flag. And here we are at 2.15 in the morning standing in a country that stands for a lot of things different. I, I got to tell you, I was not. I had a, about two or three years ago now, maybe a little less, but I don't think so. About two or three years ago, Brother, brother Mark Shute said to me, Hey, I've been invited to go to Pakistan. I'd like you to go with me. Nope. <laughs> he kind of laughed. I said, I'm not joking. The only way I go back is if I get an audible voice from God. I'm just telling you, I, I, some of y'all got that crazy mentality you take on the world. I'm just, I, I don't have that. Put me on a court or a field and I'm competitive. But when it comes to that kind of stuff, I'm a chicken. And I went with the hopes that I was going to get there and get out with no problems. And thank God I did and I haven't been back. And Lord, please don't make me eat these words tonight. Paul said, I know what I'm getting myself into. I know what I'm going to face, but I've got to go anyway. I do know. That it won't be any picnic for the Holy Spirit has let me know repeatedly. Repeat. It wasn't one of those things, mm, God, I, don't, I wonder if that was you, God. 
I mean, I, I think he just spoke to me, but I'm not really. He said, he's let me know repeatedly. And clearly that there are hard times and imprisonment ahead. But that matters little. But that matters little. What matters most to me is to finish what God started. The job the Master Jesus gave me of letting everyone I meet know all about this incredibly extravagant generosity of God. If I don't do that, Paul says, then my life is in vain. If I do not do what I was created to do, What Genesis 22 and 5 says, picking up in the process, Abraham has already been spoken to by God to take Isaac and sacrifice him. In verse number 5, Abraham, having traveled a ways with his servants, now says to them, Abide here, ye with the donkeys. And I and the lad. Now notice, notice, God told him to go sacrifice Isaac. God told him to go sacrifice Isaac. God told him to go sacrifice Isaac. But listen to what Abraham says. The lad and I will go yonder not to sacrifice. But we are going to go yonder and worship. I'm not going to sacrifice. I'm going to worship. You can tell somebody's level of commitment as to whether or not they are sacrificing or worshiping. Those that are begrudgingly giving up what God asks of them are sacrificing. But those that are willingly giving what God wants go to worship. I wonder how many sacrificers we have here tonight. And I wonder how many worshipers we have tonight. I wonder how many people say, God, if you ask me to sacrifice something, then I guess that's what I'll do. I will sacrifice. But I wonder if there are some here tonight that say God you may call it sacrifice but I call it worship that's really what Paul was saying in Romans 12 I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice present your bodies present your whole life as an act of worship We'll go yonder and worship. He said, we will come again. That was a great declaration of faith, but he didn't have that promise. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, 
the fire, and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. I can tell you tonight, actually what God requires of you, He ultimately pays for you. Because Abraham looked over in the thicket and there was a ram caught in the thicket. And that's when Abraham came to know God as Jehovah Jireh. The Lord my provider. I preach to some of you millennials tonight that are trying to pinch your pennies and try to figure out how you're going to make it all work. How you're going to get a better car and get a nicer place to live and how you're going to get everything in order for your future. And I've come tonight, I believe in the Holy Ghost to see if there's anybody that's willing to say, I will go bound in the Spirit. I know it's going to be some hardships. I know there's going to be some difficulties that lie ahead but none of these things move me because I recognize I've been given a purpose and if I don't live my purpose that God is giving me my life is a waste none of these things move Trying to find it. I'm not going to take all the time to do it. I thought I read somewhere in there with Borden's life that there it is. Borden not only gave away his wealth but himself in a way so joyous and natural that it seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice. It seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice. I mean, would, would you? Would you? I don't want to belabor the point, but I, I want you just to think again for a moment. This is not a guy who was just a great student and had done well in college and was had a bright future ahead of him. He already had it in his grasp. It was already his. It already belonged to him. He wasn't just dreaming and hoping. He already had it and willingly gave it up but considered it a privilege and not a sacrifice. Oh God, I wonder how many people in this room tonight can echo what Paul said and say, I go bound in the Spirit. I don't know what awaits me. I don't know the opposition. I don't know the resistance. But I'm not moved by it. Because I've got a message to spread. I've got good news to tell somebody. And no matter what opposition there is to me, it's worth the price.
Oh, I, 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 I'm not trying to be mean, but I, I'm not sure all of you would agree with me and say this. Uh, at least, unless, unless your actions were just completely different than your feelings. I don't know that we all agree on this, but I, I love what we did here tonight. I love what we did here tonight. I'm glad that in this 2017 age, when everybody's so used to coming to church, getting in their funnel formation, and just standing to calmly and politely receive such love and blessing and grace. I'm glad to be amongst a group of people that still are excited that my dance has crushed Satan under my feet. Just, just tell y'all a little secret just so you know. This, this, some of this tonight wasn't the result of the adult leadership, the old leadership. Ooh, I better, re- you're not old. I'm sorry. I better rephrase that. My fault. I, that didn't come out right. A lot of things don't come out right when I'm preaching, so just add to it. What, wasn't a result of the, 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 uh, the, 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 the older leadership. It was some young folks saying. Some young folks saying. We, we, we need to get, we need to get some praise music. We need to get some music we can get, get with it too. I, I, I want you to know this thing is in some good hands. You don't, you don't have to worry. It's all going to be all right. I, I love it. I enjoy it. I, it, I, I we could have, I'd have been fine if we'd have just done that all night. But the problem is, there's 300 people that aren't here tonight dancing with us and crushing Satan. They're out there getting crushed. Over and over and over again. And somehow, the Holy Ghost has got to get a hold of us that it is not an extracurricular take it or leave it activity to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we've got to get bound that I've got to go. It doesn't matter if I want to do it. It doesn't matter if it's my choice. I must go. I must go. Can I tell you tonight, we, I'm, I'm going to say it this way first and then I'm going to say it the other way I was really going to say it. We may not change the world. We may not change the world. I really was going to say it this way. We can't change the world. We can't change the world, but we can change a life. We can't change the world, but we can change a life. I hope this isn't too soon for some of you, and I'm not in any way trying to be insensitive again. Take it in the spirit with which I mean it tonight. But would you put that first picture up for me? One week, six days, six days, 
six days before that young man in the blue sweatshirt was shot and killed. He stood on the highway. And out of all the signs, Sunday, fun day, what's the other one say? No, the one, it's something. I know what that one says. It's good to see you. And there's several other signs. There's another one out there. Out of all the ones he said, I found it to be so interesting that the one he held that morning was, You belong here. And I don't think it was a coincidence because Terry, you belonged here. Uh, Brother Lewis, I appreciate your response and I don't want to interrupt your prayer, but you got to come here for a moment. Come here, please, sir. Do you know why he was there holding that sign? Because somebody was bound in the Spirit. I don't know what might happen. I don't know if I'll be successful. I don't know if I'll accomplish anything. But I must go. And because somebody was bound in the Spirit, he stood there that morning holding a sign. You belong here. Brother Lewis, I want you to listen to me. I got a story to tell you. Brother Gonzalez told this story, and at the time he told it, I was so moved by the story. But at that point, it was just a story, Brother Lewis. But I want you to listen. I want you to listen to what, Brother God, I don't think now it was a coincidence, Brother Lewis. Because several months ago, Terry and Taylor, when Brother Smith was here, if I'm not mistaken, were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Oh, let me just go ahead and say it for a few of you. What was he doing where he was when he got shot? How was he there? Why was he there? I don't know and I don't care. I'm... I've been stirred the last couple of days and I'm too concerned, Brother Whaley, that we're creating a white-collar church reaching the middle class and up. We're not here for a bunch of people that just got it all together and life is good and they don't really need Jesus. We're here for everybody whosoever will. The up and outers need them just as much as the down and outers. But let's be honest, if we get the up and outers, they probably got something to give us. And if we get the down and outers, they just bring all their problems. Oh well, they belong here. Gonzalez said, I don't remember if he told it for everybody to hear, if he was just telling me and one or two others, I don't even remember. There was some young men that had been, I think, raised in their church, but had been in their church for a while. Their mother is still in church. 
But the, the boys backslid. They had been, he had been, one's name was David. David had been baptized and received the Holy Ghost. But he backslid him and his brother. He started having a dream, a recurring dream that he told Brother Gonzalez about. He had a dream that he was killed by El Diablo, which in English means the devil. He went to Brother Gonzalez and told him, and even though he told him the dream and had the dream several times, it didn't change anything. Brother Lewis, one Friday night, David and his brother had gone to a party. They were partying with a bunch of guys. And a guy came up to him and started trying to give him a hard time. Trying to get a rise out of him. And David eventually got up and went into another room. And a few minutes later, the same guy followed him in that room. Pulled out a gun and put two shots in his chest. But his brother, a little while later that same evening, sat and told Brother Gonzalez that before my brother died, I heard him call on Jesus and repent. And I heard him speaking in tongues. When they did the autopsy, he should have died instantly. But he had enough time to repent and talk in tongues. And the other part of the story was at that particular time, his mother who was at home was moved by a great burden of intercession. And the same time her son was shot, she was at home interceding for her boy. They chased down the guy that shot him. His nickname was El Diablo. Seems to me I recall the story Jesus told about some laborers, some that had been there all day, but then some others that showed up at the very end and got the same pay at the end that they got at the beginning. I am not here tonight with a thus saith the Lord. I'm not prepared to tell that. But I find it a kind of a coincidence that I heard that story a couple of weeks ago. And then what happened to Terry just a couple of days ago. That I just have of the opinion and I'm just going to choose to believe that somehow if that young man was in a position he should not have been in. That God provided a space of grace. Because he belonged here. I hope, I hope that at some point hundreds, whether it's this year or the future, I sure hope at some point hundreds get baptized and get the Holy Ghost at Old Mill. 
I hope that and I, I expect that actually. But if there's only one will, if it only ends up being one, I know he was already in before P7, but he's one. But even if now that you gave up what you gave up to do what you're doing, if when it's all said and done, it's just one. Please tell me what price could you and I pay that's too great to keep one soul from hell? I know we're believing for a hundred thousand at Antioch the Apostolic Church, but don't ever forget that all of heaven rejoices when one, just one. And so, no matter what happens, I go bound. No matter what the results may be, I go bound. And none of these things move me. See, ultimately, you've got no idea what the one, if it's just one, that God sends you to may be. Uh, I'm a very sentimental kind of guy. I got boxes of stuff that I'll never open, but I'll never throw away. Keepsakes and memories. I know if you haven't opened the box in six months, get rid of it. You don't need it. That works at your house. Leave me alone. I had one of the most... Precious, memorable experiences of my life this summer. Put that next picture up there, please. I was in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I got to meet one of the two ladies who at the time was just a young girl. I don't remember all the details as well as I should, so forgive me. But those two young girls were out doing outreach for church and came across another young girl, if I remember correctly, sitting on the porch with her mother. I don't know that they were even really looking for this young girl that day. The young girl they ended up giving an invitation to was Lula Mae Parker at the time. Didn't have a whole lot. Wasn't living in the best part of town. Didn't have anything to offer. But who knew that those two ladies reaching one young lady would produce an amazing woman of God who would become an evangelist and impact countless lives 
that would also birth two daughters. One of them happens to be my mother. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? No one knew, but somebody went bound in the Spirit. Somebody was compelled to go. And because somebody was compelled to go, God had some things that He was setting up. I I know there's others of you that can relate to what I'm about to say to them, but I'm just going to use them and you apply it to you. I, I know you give and you give and you sow and you sow into something that the, 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 the rewards, the tangible rewards, often are few and far between. You don't always see the benefits of that. But I watch you guys bound. I mean, you guys aren't spring chickens anymore. What a husband. He said she is. He's not. I mean, at this season of life that you're in, Sister Brown, it's most folks have graduated on to some other ministry. Not giving week after week to something that seems to be many times thankless and unappreciated. But there's just something that won't let you go. It's just something that you can't shake, but the truth of the matter is I don't think you're trying to shake it. And none of these things move me. I got to tell you, as I sat on this platform Friday and continually scanned this crowd, if what we've got is not their answer. I'm done. If what we have can't help them, if what we have is only good enough to just kind of enhance, flavor the life of those that life is already kind of going okay for, if that's all it can do, you can have it. As I preached on Friday, Jesus said He came to bind up the brokenhearted. He came to set the captive free. He came to bring liberty to those that were bound. And so what He has and what He's come to do is not just for the select few. I'll tell you what my prayer is. I'll tell you what my hope is. I'm longing for the day when we walk in here, those of us that come here on a Sunday morning and then Sunday night, but especially a Sunday morning based on the focus of that service, I'm longing for the day when we walk into a Sunday morning service and all of us apostolics look around at the crowd and say, I thought we were in an apostolic church. 
She don't look like she's apostolic and he don't look like he's apostolic and what I smell on their breath ain't apostolic and what I smell in his clothes ain't apostolic. Oh God, give us the day when we walk in here and we are outnumbered by the non-apostolics not because we've compromised, not because we've given up truth, but because so many of us have gone bound in the spirit. We're not outnumbered on Sunday mornings right now because too many of us are not bound in the Spirit. We are not compelled to go whether something happens or does not happen. If you keep doing what you're doing exactly the way you're doing it for 10 more years and not one person gets the Holy Ghost and not one person gets baptized and not one person becomes a tithe paying church member. I got a question for you tonight, Brother Ellenberger. Are you bound in the spirit? I know what your faith is. You've shared your faith with me. You've told me what you believe and what you expect. But my question tonight, Brother Ellenberger, is if all of your great expectations never come to pass, are you bound in the Spirit? Too many of us are committed. As long as we've got the expectation, it's all going to go well. But how many of us can say, no matter what happens, no matter what the results are, whether or not I see what I'm believing, for or not I am bound in the spirit you know why I painted most of my house you know why I like to cut my own grass you know why I've blown the majority of the leaves in the last couple of weeks in my yard is because it gives me something to do that I can feel like I succeeded at. I can paint a room and walk away from that room and look back at what I accomplished. I walk back in there and I look at the cutting in job at the top and at the at the corners and along the baseboard, along the doorpost. And I critique my job because I'm a perfectionist and I never do it good enough. But I completed it. I got two boys that are more than strong enough to take care of the leaves in my yard. And they're more than willing to help. Most of the time, I don't ask them to. I want to blow those leaves myself. I want to clear that yard off myself because I can walk away feeling like I accomplished something. I got in my car Friday afternoon. After preaching to a room full of hurting and broken people. Yeah, I know all the things to say. 
I know all the ways to give myself the pep talk. You sowed seeds and lives were touched. and God did something and something's going to happen in the future. But I didn't see anything. So give me something to do that I can measure an accomplishment. Because this job stinks most of the time. But I can't give it up. Because I'm bound by something that won't let me go. If I spend the rest of my life on Sunday mornings preaching to a half-empty sanctuary in Arnold, I can't quit. Because I'm bound in the Spirit. Oh, we got a lot of great promises, Antioch. We've got a lot of great expectations of what God said He was going to do. But I've come tonight to ask, who, who, who's bound in the Spirit? Oh, I don't mean to be unkind, but I'm preaching to some people tonight that are bound. Oh, I'm preaching to some people tonight that are bound. I'm preaching to some people that are bound by a career. I'm people preaching to some people that are bound by selfish ambition. I'm preaching to some people that are bound by the dream of a bigger house and a better car and a better job. But I wonder... I wonder, Antioch, do I preach to anybody tonight that is bound in the Spirit? That something inside of you says, I must go. I don't know what awaits me. I don't know if there'll be successes and victories. But even if there's disappointment, even if there's failure, even if there's persecution, I must go. None of these things move me.